Welcome to Hydrate Level 4. I'm your host, Peter. Today joining me is Carly from That Pop This Life and Talking Shadowland. How are you doing, Carly? Hey, everybody. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me again. Well, thank you for returning. Uh, regular listeners will remember you from the uh, Raising Victor Vargas episode, yes, uh, which we just recently done. And uh, you and I, we've talked off scene, and we decided to do uh, a bonus episode to talk about this movie, Aloha. So, Aloha, Carly. <laughs> uh, Aloha. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little corny, but... Um, yeah. No, but yeah. I, I guess it's yeah. appropriate, maybe. Sorry? It's appropriate. Yes, absolutely. Um but yeah, that, that raising Victor Vargas, it, it's it's been getting some pretty good um, praise and feedback. Surprisingly, you know, just because you know we've discussed on that episode that it's a it's a thirteen year old movie and an indie, yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And and crossing our fingers that we have some um, exciting news coming coming soon. So be on the lookout for that. Yes. Uh, also, for those that are in the know, um, uh, I recently checked Phoenix grades last night, and he slipped again in math. Uh, no. Went back to a C, so we're going to have to put our uh, recording on the back burner. Um, you know, it was, uh, if if you're not following us, it was The Last Dragon. That's, that's what we were going to record tonight. And so, but you know what? School's ending uh, next week, I believe it is, and hopefully his report card comes out good, and, um, and we don't have to worry about grades until next September, so... Yeah, it it happens, and I was, you know, my wife was like, hey, did you check his grades before you guys do this? And I'm like, oh, God, I do not want to check his grades, because I was so scared. I was like, every time I check his grades, it's always, there's always, you know, a C in there, and yeah. sure enough. Um, well, that's the uh, that's the consequence. It is what it is. It is what it is, but it, it, it just sucks, because now I have to kind of go back out and post that, hey, you know, we got to put this on the back burner for those that were anticipating the release of The Last Dragon. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about Aloha. Uh, so basically what we're going to do is we're going to uh, not get into any type of details, really, and just kind of uh, get into uh, whether or not we recommend this movie and... Um, you know, for those that do listen to the show, you guys have heard this before, you know, when I do the new releases. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that, give our ratings, and then I'll play a trailer. And then after the trailer, you and I will get into a little bit more specifics, not scene by scene or anything like that, but talk about the things we things we didn't. And also, you and I, we both uh, are fans of Cameron Crowe's work. And so we'll, you know, discuss some about uh, uh, some of his other work and where uh, we can where we rank that or, or this movie with those uh and and so yeah okay let's, let's go go ahead and get into it um uh, you're my guest why don't you go ahead and start uh it's my five star rating for uh, this yeah. movie uh, i'm gonna give it like uh i instinctively i want to give it a two um okay i'm gonna give it a two and a half if do you guys do halves here Oh, we do quarters even. You do quarter. <laughs> Two and a quarter. I'm gonna be generous and I'm gonna do 2.5. Oh, I wow. I en- I enjoyed the movie while I was watching. It, I enjoyed it. However, most of the movie, I was a bit confused as to what was going on. Overall, I felt like the movie was very messy. Um, it was messy. It was kind of all over the place, and and it felt like a few different stories, kind of really uh, rudimentarily stitched together um mm-hmm. and it just it was kind of all over the place for me and that's why i'm i'm giving it a a two and a half um we can get into more details after you you um throw the trailer on but i just i don't know i, I wasn't feeling it out of all okay. the cameron crow 
films, this is like one of the ones that I'm just like, nah, I don't think so. He didn't do really a really good job at this. So you're saying don't watch it in the theater. Don't watch it in the theater. Okay. Maybe just wait for it to 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 like be on TBS. Would you, would you and even Redbox it for a dollar and some change? No. Oh wow. Okay. Um, now now I feel see. Uh, Again, listeners of the show, I'm very generous when it comes to rating. Uh, I think having you go first is going to help me a little bit and make me not feel as bad. Uh, but I, I'm going to give it a three, and I think that's only because uh, it's like it's still Cameron Crowe, and I want to give him just that little, like, Cameron Crowe, I can't give you right. a better rating. And that's just me, so I just feel bad. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to give it a three. Um, I may I may kind of like it a little bit more than others, I I, I feel. Um, and yeah, I obviously do not recommend going to the theater because I, I pay 10 bucks and you know, it, it's for the podcast, but it's, it, you can put that 10 bucks to rewatching like Age of Ultron. You, go, go back and watch Furious 7. I mean, um, Tomorrowland, I'm, I'm hearing good things about. Watch uh, X, X, uh, Machina if it's still yes. a theater where you live. That's Absolutely. a fantastic film. And, um, I haven't seen it, but I, yeah, all my, all my podcasting friends are definitely endorsing that movie. Um. But even even would you okay? Well, you, you you even said you wouldn't pay for the red box. But uh, you know, if you wanted to watch this in the movie theater, you know, Regal Cinemas they do the five dollars Tuesday night, you know, price. So or many theaters do um, matinee pricing, which is like before twelve o'clock, it's like six bucks, depending on where you live. You know, right? Like six bucks or seven or something. Yeah, for for me, yeah, I. I'd say red box is okay because it's a dollar and some change. I, I don't think it's that bad, you know. <laughs> I, I I think it's still worth a watch, but I'd be really curious to see like if anybody does love this movie. Mm-hmm. So um, so that is our ratings. And uh, before I throw on the trailer and get into specifics, I also wanted to throw out that recently uh, I was on War Machine versus War Horse. You know, regular listeners know that uh, Mike Denniston is a frequent collaborator uh, with me. I'm on his show a lot, and and vice versa. But he's also my co-host on the original remake um which you know this movie is no remake but recently we did you know the poltergeist movies but um i was on his show recently and we talked a little bit about aloha and the way his um show works is they pair it they pair new release movies with two older movies that have a similar theme so uh the theme was uh ken crow meltdowns and so on there uh, mike and i we also um we we discussed Jim McGuire and Elizabethtown. So Thanks. for those that are interested in uh, hearing that, I will link um, that episode onto this show's show notes. Uh, so look for that. And also uh, Eric Hires, who uh, writes the one weekly movie review for us, he will be submitting a review for Jerry McGuire. And so if um, I don't think I'll have, yeah. It, you know what? I'll um, even if this episode goes up before he, he submits his review, I'll go in and add the review later on anyway. But you know, if you follow us on Facebook, you'll you'll see the post on there. So just a couple Cameron Crow, um, you know, fun stuff that that I'll be adding to uh, this particular episode's show notes. So uh, so uh, please check those out. And Carly, if anyone doesn't want to stay for for the for the spoilers and details, do you want to give your plugs real quick? Uh, well, I am a co-host on That Pop This Life on iTunes and Stitcher, the pop culture uh, show um, with my co-host Cynthia and also Talking Shondaland, which is just talking about Shonda Rhimes' shows. So if any of you guys out there like Shonda Rhimes, any of the, her shows, 
we kind of do general discussions about themes and all that. Um, we're on hiatus now in the summer because the shows aren't on, but uh, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher for both shows. Okay, and I'm kind of I'm totally doing this half-assed backward because I didn't really get into like the the minor details of the movie, so I'll do that real quick. But uh, yeah, we've already discussed it's written and directed by Cameron Crowe, um, and you know I do I I also throw out the parental guidance, which this movie is PG-13 and is mainly for language. There's really nothing else. Um, and a little bit about the movie. The the film follows uh, Brian Gilchrist, who is played by Bradley Cooper. And he's like a defense contractor uh, who falls for Captain Allison Ng, uh, who's played by Emma Stone. And I'm sure we'll talk about that in spoilers. Uh, and she's like an Air Force pilot. And um, she's assigned to him to maybe uh, babysit him. And, and he... It's just um, uh, he's there to um, try to get the blessing try to get the blessing for a pedestrian bridge from the local um, king of the locals. Well, there you have it. Okay, so now is your chance to uh, pause this episode, check the movie out or not, or based on our recommendation, don't watch it and just stay <laughs> uh, stay for the spoilers. Um, so uh, we'll see you guys on the other side. Cool guy here. Blue the mission. Brian Gilchrist needed a fresh start. We're giving you a second chance. I'll do it. It's Hawaii. This is your new partner. Warmest aloha. Oh, boy. But just when things were coming together... The old ex-girlfriend. Things got complicated. I think that you came back here for a reason. This is going to be a topic of conversation. On May 29th... This is very, very complicated. Only in Hawaii. <laughs> aloha. Rated PG-13. Okay, and if you are listening... Still, at this point, we are getting into specifics. And now, uh, Carly had mentioned that uh, part of the the little brief summary I gave included a spoiler. I actually got that from online, so they spoiled it online. Oh wow, that's crazy! So, so because go ahead, sorry. I need I needed a little help give, uh, giving the summary because I was very confused with this movie. Yes. Um, you know, let's let's throw out some of the characters so that way uh, people don't get confused who's who. But Rachel McAdams, who I just love and adore, she plays uh, Tracy, who is uh, Brian's ex-girlfriend. Uh, she's got a couple kids, Mitchell and Grace. Uh, Bill Murray plays Carson Welch, who is a billionaire philanthropist. Yes. Yeah, okay. John Krasinski plays uh, um, John Woodside, but he goes by Woody, and that's uh, Tracy's husband. Uh, Danny McBride plays Colonel Fingers Lacey. Fingers is his nickname. And Alec Baldwin as General Dixon. Um, so the story, it, it seems like there's two stories. There's not even really a subplot because there's this, this military thing seems to be like, like I don't want to say the main driving force, but it's, it's definitely a big plot in the movie. And right. then you got the, not quite a love triangle, but then you, you could do have this, romantic story going on with um Allison and Brian and mm -hmm. and then also the ex-girlfriend uh Tracy who's always kind of around there too. I don't know. What what do you make of the two different stories? Um well for for one what what I liked about the film wasn't what, I'm sorry. What I liked about the film was the the human I guess aspect, the love triangle or I don't want to say love triangle because the that, interactions, the interactions, yeah, yeah, the 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 family and the love and and the relationship that he had with 
um, Ng and Tracy and Woody that I enjoyed more than the military, you know, blessing of the pedestrian bridge. And you had to, you know, he, he, we had no idea what he actually did, but the entire movie, they kept mentioning how like he screwed up somewhere, something about Afghanistan and how he's toxic waste. And it was very confusing. So the entire movie, every time all that came up, I was just like, what is happening? Like, why is he, there's no actual evidence or, or the um, details were very murky as to what, why was he radioactive as they kept calling him or what was his like big, problem that you know he's coming back to redeem himself like it was very murky not only that but then exactly like i'm not sure what the pedestrian other than like a pedestrian bridge other than a bridge for people to walk on regular people to walk on like i had no idea what that had to do with the military um and if you guys out there do and i'm, I'm an idiot then that's fine but i had no clue what was going on there and what they were launching and what that had to do with like you know, space exploration. It was very confusing to me. Um, maybe if I watch it again uh, a few more times, I'll get it. Uh, but I had to, after I finished the movie last night, I had to come home and read like a review just to just to see if like someone could explain it to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I don't know. Like that, that was a big problem that I had with the film. Um, and, and those two stories... I guess didn't really mesh well for me. It wasn't really, it wasn't well executed on either, on either end. And then they didn't come together um, in a very cohesive way. Yeah. I don't think I have anything to add to that because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, Mike and I, we, we've discussed like, yeah, what, why did it? I mean, I, we have, we can kind of see why it takes place in Hawaii, but it didn't have to. It could have been like Death Valley in California or something, you know, so somewhere that was a little bit more deserted, you know, near a military base. Uh, and we just felt like from the commercials, um, we were, uh, and my friend put this, uh, actually, he gave me this insight and it was absolutely right. But the trailer almost made us believe that maybe it could have been a movie like, Maybe not 50 first dates, but I guess he was only comparing it because it took place in Hawaii, that Hawaii would be like a character within itself. Right. But it kind of wasn't. Like, um, you got Captain Alison Ng, by, played by Emma Stone, who's like a, supposed to be a quarter Hawaiian in this movie, which, you know, she they, they got the most palest face and blue eyes, you know. Like, and they, they try to, you know, show us like her parents too. And she looks like her mom, obviously, and her dad's supposed to be like, uh, half Hawaiian and uh, half Chinese. Chinese. There you go. That, that explains the Ing last name. Right. Um, but and and I don't know if and the thing was like because of that last name and her supposed background, they they it became a running joke in the entire movie that oh did did she tell you that she's a quarter uh, Hawaiian? Oh yeah, like fifty times. Like even right. even the movie is like self aware that like okay we obviously know she looks nothing quarter Asian right. and um, you know and what do you think about Emma Stone in in this movie like do you think that because uh, uh, you know I think she's great but do you think maybe she was cast or maybe misused in this movie um, I feel like you can take it one of two ways you can say oh she was definitely miscast if the film was going to make this uh, character um, 
her Asian background. She's half Chinese. She's um, her father was Chinese and Hawaiian and her mother was Swedish. And we and we get to hear that a lot in the film. If that was going to be very important, if this character was going to be um, was that was going to be like the crux of the character, then, yes, she was definitely mix, miscast. However, when I was watching it, you know, I had read some of the the controversy and all that about whitewashing um which Hollywood does, and that's just, it's not something that we should be okay with, but that's just something that they do. So I tried my best to go in there and, and just watch the movie and just judge it for what it was and then, you know, see what the whole hubbub was about. So when I was watching the movie, I'm, I found it to be more like a joke. You know, those movies where, like, you know, there's the one character that's just like, I'm, a, I'm 116th Cherokee. You know, and it's just like that joke, but you're obviously, there's obviously no sort of Cherokee or no sort of like ethnic anything in you, but it's like a running joke. The movie made it seem that way more than anything to me because it kept coming up. And the way it kept coming up wasn't in that serious um, uh, um, nature. You know, even the fact that, that Brian, when he was talking to, to Tracy, as you mentioned, he was just like, oh, did she mention that she was, you know, a quarter Hawaiian? She's like, yes, she did. So it felt more like a running joke, like a running gag. Not saying that it was, that it's right or that it should have been that way. But I don't know. I felt like the movie treated it more like that than in, than seriously. That being said, it also, it also felt like the movie wanted it to be serious. You know, does that even make sense? Like it, yeah, well, it, I mean, this movie it, doesn't make sense. No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like so all over the place because it, it, they were treating it like a joke. But at the same time, it seemed like they wanted us to be like, oh, you know, she's really down with the with the Hawaiian culture and she knows all this Hawaiian stuff. And she and she really connects to the myth and, you know, and, and nature and everything that that is Hawaiian. But it also felt like. Kind of like the the one friend that's like really into something that that's like so out of out of whatever you should be into, you know, um, like, you know, that people always have like, like that one weird friend that's really into Buddhism. And you're just like, why are you into Buddhism? Like, not that you shouldn't be, but like she knows all this stuff or he knows all this stuff. Like, that's the way it felt like to me. I don't know. It's just I feel like I'm not making sense because the movie had me like in a tailspin. Yeah, and early on, like, uh, you know, because I, I was pretty spoiler-free from this movie. I, I just remember, like, seeing screenshots of people in uniform. I think more so uh, uh, Allison's character, or Emma Stone's character, Allison. And so I was just like, okay, it surrounds a military plot. and it, Well, it does, but definitely not the way I, I thought it would be. And, like, early on, you know, when Allison is first assigned to babysit Brian... You just kind of like, okay, where, where's this going? Hmm. Okay, ex-girlfriend is introduced. Perhaps they get back together. Oh, wait, but she's married now. Okay, so where is this going? And and so I was a little, I guess I was a little surprised that it became like a thing between uh, Allison and Brian because um, I just wasn't sure where it's going because like why is Rachel McAdams introduced and then the subplot and then they give it to us uh, early on. You know, we'll go ahead and you know, this is the spoiler part, but uh, we're when when Brian runs into Tracy again, and uh, she hasn't seen him in so long, and you know she's got these two kids, and she, you know they talked about how they haven't seen each other in thirteen years, and like immediately in the in the same 
scene, Brian gets introduced to Tracy's oldest daughter, who's 12. It's like, okay, hello, that's his daughter. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was so not a, uh, a surprise when she was just like, well, they kept alluding to it the entire movie, too, even before she revealed it to him. You know, I, we knew that that was his daughter before he knew that that was his daughter mm-hmm. or that he admitted that that was his daughter. Um, that, and that was that felt really clunky to me. It, it, was, it, it was executed very poorly. Right, right. Uh, but I, uh, I'll, I, I love the end, though, <laughs> you know, when when he goes to go see her and then they do the whole uh, not talking and acknowledging it, um, you know, and at that point, I was like, maybe, maybe she is Woody's uh, daughter because she doesn't talk and she figures it out like he does. Right. You know, um, did, OK. Now, do you think this was funny? Because, you know, that's the running gag that Woody, he d- doesn't really talk because of what he does. He flies these coffins, you know, from point A to point B. So he's he's up in the air and there's always these thoughts. And um, so I don't know if it's not PTSD, but they're, they're saying that he it's not easy for him. Right. So he's always like not. Um, not in the best state of mind and stuff. So when he comes home, he doesn't really want to talk about it because of, you know, what he does. And, and so at the end, you know, it's been a running gag that uh, Woody doesn't talk and and um, Brian picks up everything that he says, like just through body language. So right. what did you think of that scene when they were talking to each other, like through their minds, and then you got the subtitles of what they're actually saying? <laughs> I, and well, now that we've talked about the stuff that we didn't like about it, to me, the best parts of the movie were when John Krasinski was was there, was in the scene. And that was that was very funny. Um, there was a scene almost pretty much at the end after, you know, they have a fight. You know, Woody has a fight with his wife, Rachel McAdams, and he goes away and he comes back to his house to find uh, Brian Gilchrist there. And, you know, they have this they have this conversation of just looks and touches and they hug and we seeing we're seeing everything that they're saying through subtitles to me was the funniest moments because it, it I think the two of them were really great and John Krasinski was fantastic I felt like he stole the movie for me um and it was very touching it was very touching even though it was completely silly and and it felt a little out of place to just see the subtitles, the subtitles. <laughs> it felt really out of place but I don't know. It worked for me somehow. It was very touching. And I think Cameron Crowe Crow does this very well. He does moments really well. And I think this movie, it wasn't all bad. It had really great moments. The um, the moment with Woody and, and, and Tracy when they were arguing and she's like, just talk to me. Just say something to me, please. You know, we had problems way before. Uh, Brian came, you know, Gilchrist came, like, just say something. And he's just, and he just can't, he can't really verbalize whatever he's feeling. And he walks out. Um, and then he, you know, he hits the, there's the Santa Christmas motif on their lawn. And he like decapitates it and goes away. Like those moments were really great. And they were very touching. Um, the moment at the end with, with Brian uh, finally acknowledging and going to see his daughter, um, uh, dance hula and he's standing outside of the studio on the street and she's dancing and looking at him and they have this you know verbalist uh, uh, conversation just by looking at each other and she and just with looks asks him are you my dad and he responds yes and then she cries and comes out look I'm getting goosebumps and comes out and hugs him mm-hmm. and, you know and then she goes back to dancing hula those, those moments were very 
to me were the best, you know, were the best part of the movie, were where the heart of the movie um, lived. And I wanted to see more of that and less of the military bullshit. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, and that was one of my favorite scenes is that ending, you know, with, with, with the daughter. I, I thought she was great in, was in this so movie. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't, I don't, I think I have her name. Let's see if I can give her a, a shout out. Danielle Rose Russell. Yes. Look at that. That's a, that's a long ass name. Yeah. I would have I dropped the Danielle and just go with Rose Russell. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, I, I really liked that end scene. Um, it, it th there were definitely parts in this movie and, you know, mainly I'm going to highlight the, the, um, human inter interactions, you know, with the characters. Those were a, a lot of things were, I felt classic Cameron Crowe stuff, right. but yeah, this whole thing with the military, I, I was just like, you could have dropped this. Yeah. Unfortunately it would put the movie at like an hour 15, if that, right. <laughs> you know, and, and I think it could have been a lot better because, it, you know, the few people I've spoken to that have seen this movie, they're like, yeah, all I like is that human interaction, right. you know? And, and I think that's why, I was kind of easy on the movie, gave it a three and say, yeah, it's still worth a watch because of the human interaction. I think everybody killed it. I think, um, you know, the facial expressions, the little quirks, the little oomph I'll talk about that Cameron Crowe does. There's that one scene where Brian and Allison are hiking up to the uh, the Hawaiian village. And uh, there she was talking about like this vibe, this mana that this uh, area was giving them. And then she does this thing with her hand gestures where she puts her uh, both hands like uh, in front of her face to cover her eyes or something. It was just this, this little thing that it kind of took me back to like in Elizabethtown where Kirsten Dunst, you know, she kind of um, hand gestures like taking a picture with with her hands. And so it's just like these little things that I, I find in Cameron Crowe movies that I really appreciate. Kind of like I mentioned in the Victor Vargas uh, review with, you know, the whole tapping of the quarter machine is just it, it's something that um you know it, it, i i feel like some it's either directed or it's just like on the whim of the uh, of the actor like you know i'm just going to add this little nice touch to, to the scene right. you know because like you you can show but you know why not use our hands because when people talk with their hands you know the listener usually you know um pays attention to that a little bit more i guess i don't know but uh did you see elizabeth town i did see elizabeth town i didn't i didn't like elizabeth town um, to me, Elizabeth Town came, I saw it after my favorite movie of all time, Almost Famous, which mm -hmm. is pretty much Cameron Crowe's masterpiece. And I saw it and I, and I was expecting to see or to have the same feeling or to get the same, you know, vibe, um, for Elizabeth Town. And when I saw it, I hated it so hard. I just, I really, really hated it. And I only saw it one time. And I'm interested to see, you know, if I watch it now, uh, what I, how I would feel about it. But I didn't like it at all. But I did see it, yes, to answer yeah. your question. Because, um, like, uh, on the review I was on, we felt that um, Emma Stone's character was very similar to Kristen Dunn's character. You know, mm -hmm. where she comes off really annoying and kind of pestering. Right. Um, and so, like, that kind of set the tone for me. Like, oh, I don't think I'm going to like this character. But I did eventually end up liking her. Right. And, like, one of my problems was that I feel that Emma Stone and Bradley Cooper, there's a significant age difference where it almost, it did make me feel uncomfortable. But, like, um, you know, their their romantic scenes, I was, it, it took me a little bit out because it kept on making me ask, how old is she? Because I'm, I'm still used to, 
easy A, you, you know, uh, super right. bad. Teenager, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, so I, I just feel like she's still like a teenager, but you know, obviously she's like in her mid twenties, I believe, and I don't know that that that's basically it. But I I, I think they're fine together. But I I think maybe um, her being a like a I think they call her like a fighter pilot too, which I I don't believe. I, women can be fighter pilots, but for like what she was doing in the movie, it just it didn't make sense to me. Um, right. Like she could have just been a regular flight pilot, you know, for the Air Force. Right. And and I had my minor nitpicks with that too, like being in the military. Uh, and I, I gave my issues on that on the on the other show, so I won't I won't even get into it here. Um, but Tracy's character, what do you what do you think about that? Because their exes, which is funny because they were both in uh, Wedding Crashes together, who they were together in that movie and broke up. But um, I felt it was just really weird having this relationship because there's the scene in the in the kitchen uh, in Tracy's house because Brian was invited over for dinner, um, which was kind of another thing. And uh, I commend Woody, you know, for even allowing that, knowing what he knew at the time, and we didn't know what he knew or even speculated. Uh, but yeah, uh, Woody allowed Brian to come over for dinner, and so like, Woody is in the living room. I don't know, like uh, putting up fixtures or doing something. And then you got Tracy and Brian in the kitchen, talking about their their um, their their previous relationship, you know. And she's t- telling him about her and Woody's marriage, you know. So I thought that was just kind of weird, having Woody in the house having this conversation. And there's a point that they it seems a little flirtatious too and she even says that like i'm totally girlfriending you right now or or something of that nature and i just i don't know i thought that was really weirdly executed uh yeah again the the movie felt that way um, for the most part the wow so many so many things to unbox here the relationship with brian and tracy were was super strange like their conversations in the in the kitchen were very sporadic Mm -hmm. and, and just the whole point that she was talking to him, like she, you know, like he was, like he wasn't an ex, like he was just, you know, an old friend, like a girlfriend. She even says in the movie was, was very bizarre because they hadn't seen each other in 13 years. It, from the sounds of it, it ended because he couldn't commit. So it didn't really end on really great terms. Mm -hmm. Um, you know third they had you know she had this daughter and hadn't told them yet so their relationship knowing those three things just off the bat didn't seem like they should have had the relationship that they had on screen which was kind of just like oh yeah you're my buddy i'm just gonna come over have a beer and i'm gonna talk about my my marriage my failed marriage or whatever you know it just it felt very disconnected like they were talking about two different people like like we were seeing one couple and what they were talking about their, you know, how they were uh, talking about their um, history was like a completely different couple. Um, and that was, again, that was that there, the disconnect for me lied in, in things like that. Like it just didn't make any sense. As for Emma, Emma Stone's character, um, captain, she was a captain Ing, right? Mm-hmm. She, fi- she was, I didn't find her annoying. Um, uh, like you did, uh, I don't know what you said. She, she was Pestering like a, yeah. I didn't think she was like that. I think she was just, you know, she was someone that, that knew what she wanted and was very rigid when it came to that and was very uh, perky. And then for him, 
uh, he wasn't that. He was like the complete opposite of that um, as what we saw in certain scenes. So I didn't necessarily think that that that, that was necessarily annoying. I just thought that they was just they were very mismatched. Um, she was a fighter pilot and she and you're right. She was doing this like, you know, babysitting this like watchdog uh, for him because he was a screw up that you know, couldn't be trusted to do this major job that he was, you know, told to do, but needed somebody to watch him. And that was weird. So that didn't make any sense. Also, uh, she once she found out that the satellite that they were shooting up in the into space was going to have something something to do with weapons was going to be weaponized at some point. She was really against it, but she's a fighter pilot. So that didn't make any sense either. Um, what else? The the relationship you mentioned the relationship between um, uh, Bradley Cooper and Emma Stone. I mean, he's been romantically involved in uh, in three different movies with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who's younger than Emma Stone. So but she I, looks older, I guess. Yeah, I don't I, think. So. I think so. Matter of fact, in in the other review, I I had thrown out like perhaps. If not Emma Stone, I would have liked um, ScarJo, you know, or even Jennifer Lawrence. And, and I know they've fre- frequently collabed. But mm-hmm. I, I feel, yeah, she's just, uh, I, I think Jennifer Lawrence looks older, but she's also a little bit bigger, too, in, in body size. I, I just think Emma Stone's, like, really petite. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess it's uh, perception. But to yeah. me, uh, to me, Jennifer, to me, whatever, there's a problem of uh, of in Hollywood of men, you know, the, the male stars and female co-stars, their age difference is like 20 years sometimes. So that's, it's almost something that we're so used to, um, that, you know, it is what it is. Uh, recently, I think, um, two weeks ago, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal said something like she went up for an audition and at 37, she was too old to play the wife or the girlfriend of like a 57 year old. So, Oh it's yeah, a, I think I saw that. You know, it's a problem that's that's really prevalent in Hollywood, and you know, it is what it is. At some point, I'm I'm hoping that it'll change, but I don't think it would. I'm not that positive. I'm not that uh, <laughs> uh, positive about it. Um, but I I don't know. I to me, their chemistry, romantic chemistry, didn't didn't click at all. Um, Emma Stone and Bradley Cooper, like I I just didn't I. I couldn't feel it. It wasn't there for me. Um, when they were on stage, when they were on screen and they were, you know, interacting when it wasn't necessarily romantic, that was fine. But their romantic chemistry was not there. However, with Rachel McAdams, I don't know if it was because they've worked with each other before and they know each other or whatever. But I thought that, you know, every time they were together, I was just like, I want you guys to do this all the time. Like I want to see them in a movie where they like get together. Cause I, I really felt their romantic. Like I really felt their chemistry was very palpable mm-hmm. in their scenes together. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, yeah. It just seemed like maybe, and I don't know this to be true or anything, but it seemed like, cause Rachel McAdams, she did a fine job, but the problem was like the way, I don't know. It was the way it was written. Like it felt like she came into the game extremely late and like just memorized her lines and didn't really, like build the history of her character with Brian's character, you know what I mean? And because, like, like you, like you had mentioned, they haven't seen each other in thirteen years, and basically their relationship ended on an ultimatum. She was like, you know, it's either me or your job, 
And so uh, that should have left a sour taste in her mouth. Yet he's back in her life and she's just kind of like it, it almost seems like with her, you know, marriage uh, where it's at, at, you know, at this point, it, it looked like she was really teetering between like, do I want to go back to Brian? Because like, I don't know what's happening with Woody. And so like, I, I, I just really didn't understand what the heck was going on. Yeah. But I still enjoyed their interactions and I still enjoyed their acting, even though it wasn't really matching with what was going on. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I you can't blame the actor for that. That's all in the script. That's all in the story. Mm-hmm. And and that I don't believe that was her fault. I actually think that um, Rachel McAdams was fantastic in it. Uh, she really grounded the the um, the story for me. Like she was the only kind of heart and grounded um, aspect to it, where everything else kind of fell all over the place. Um, not saying that her character was the best because of everything that we just said, but. Her performance for me was very grounded. Bradley Cooper's performance, like I felt like he really didn't get a grasp of the character and who he was. But I, again, I also think that's because the script was a mess um, and the story was a mess. So I feel like the actors did the best they could um, with what they had. And the problems in it were, weren't were at all the performances. The performances were actually the best part of the film. But Oh, yeah. Hands hands down, if if anything for anything like this movie is worth a watch just for the performances alone, right? And uh, yeah, I I I think they did a really really good job. I liked I liked everybody. Um, well, not everybody. Let, let's briefly talk about some of the other people. Uh, sure. Bill Bill Murray. Do you think he was misused in this movie? No. No, I, you think he was that, fine. I, oh. Yeah, I thought he was very Bill. Mur- he was Bill Murraying it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that it it seemed to to be that Cameron Crowe was just like, here you go, Bill Murray, do your thing. Um, he seemed very Bill Murray to me, and and actually liked him in the role uh, because it seemed very much like him, like you know, kind of weird, elusive, but strange, and you don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know exactly what he's gonna come out of his mouth you don't know what mood he's in you know he, he seems to be very much like that um and who else uh alec baldwin who was only in like three film he was only three scenes, scenes. yeah was, you know he was alec baldwin i don't know yeah <laughs> i i i can't um i can't separate him from like 30 rock you right, know because from- I, I spent so many seasons watching him on there so when i see alec baldwin i think funny so I couldn't take him seriously as a four-star general. Like maybe he should have been, like a um, like an executive for the contracting company that Brian was a part of, or something like that. Like you, you know what I mean? And I feel like maybe he was only in this movie because he did have a small role on Elizabeth Town as well. You know, and maybe it was a favor to Cameron Crowe. I don't know, but um, he wasn't bad. But no, and it's a romantic comedy, so it's not. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I feel like taking someone that seriously in a romantic comedy is is kind of like a a futile a futile anything. I don't. I don't know. It's just it, it's it wasn't to me. I felt like he was fine. Like he just came in and and he was just like, "You're gonna be mad at Brian Gilchrist, okay? Be mad at him." And then the next scene is like, "You're gonna yell at him at the top of your lungs," and. He did that really well. And then the third scene was just like, you're going to forgive him, take the credit and tell him to scram. And then he did that. That was it. You know, it it wasn't like he had meat or anything to really work on. 
Yeah, maybe they could have got somebody else that wasn't as big. I, I guess was kind of my issue, you know, for having just a few scenes, and it's it, it's fine. Like I, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think like he. Well, I, I'm kind of saying that he shouldn't have been in here, but I mean, but it was fine. It didn't make me mad, but I'm just like, just for the like the little bit of roles. I mean, I guess his Elizabethtown role was <laughs> kind of the same way. It was really brief. It was, yeah. Um. But uh, Danny McBride, I liked him as Colonel Lacey, you know, yeah. and uh, the little quirk of him, like, I don't know what's what's with his fingers, but he just can't control it, you know. It was strange. It was like a quirk that wasn't really explained. So every time he did it, it was funny, but I had no idea. I was like, what was it like a war injury? Is this something that like he just had from birth? Like, it was really strange that. It just it was like spasms, mm-hmm. but spasms um, worked with whatever he was doing. Like if he was saying hello or if he was saying, you know, the what's the Hawaiian sign for hang loose for hang. Yeah, like a hang loose. Like it's just it was very bizarre because it wasn't really explained. So the, every time it was on, I was like, what the hell's wrong with him? <laughs> they kept calling, you know, they call him fingers and talk about someone that that's not believable as uh, as he was a colonel. Right. Right. As a colonel was Danny McBride, but again, it's a romantic comedy, sure. so you know, just he, he should have been like, like a. I, I don't know if you know your ranks, but he should have been something a little bit lower, like maybe a major, you right? Know? But um, <laughs> yeah, colonel's pretty high up there, but it is fine because you know he, he he doesn't seem clueless, but he doesn't seem you know all put together to be a colonel. But I I thought he was fine. It, it was something nice for a change. You know, it wasn't like full of vulgar and. Um, you know, and it was nice to see him kind of clean shaven with the with the short hair instead of like the you know what he looks like on um, uh, what was that baseball show he's on like down and uh, bound bound down I don't know I'm not even gonna try to come up with it but you know what show I'm talking about right yes yeah. HBO show yeah yeah and um um I think it would have been maybe it could have been more accepting if it was like a nervous tick like anytime he gets around Brian like it comes out. Because right. cause he does mention, like, oh, they don't call me that anymore, but maybe they don't call you that because you're a freaking colonel. Nobody wants to disrespect you. But maybe it was just a nervous tick he gets, like, anytime Brian comes around. And that could have been built a little bit more into their relationship because I didn't really get that. No, yeah, I know. But, like, or if it, like, progressed throughout the film, the more, you know, the more stuff kept happening or the more, like, you know, because he kept saying, oh, no one tells me anything. So the more, like, out of the loop he felt, the high, you know, the... Mm. the the higher the volume of his intensity movement. of the uh, yeah but again that's that's a script thing that's not i don't think that's necessarily the actor's uh fault yeah M- mr cameron crow it uh sir i don't know what to say to you <laughs> i know like you said it really pains me because i'm a, i'm a fan of his work i'm i'm a huge fan of his um it really pains me to 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 not only dislike this movie but to find so many things wrong with him and it almost it almost doesn't feel like is his work necessarily. You know yes. what I mean? No, I I agree. I was gonna say that too. Yeah, and do you remember the Sony hack? Yes. There was a lot of stuff that came out, a lot of emails from like the Sony the head person, Amy Pascal, I think her name was. And what one of the things was about this movie and how bad it was and how it didn't test well and how um they kept Sony kept like messing with it. So I felt like maybe that's what it is with this movie you know sony probably kept coming back to them and was like no change this change this and all the notes from the executive and all that 
probably made it just unbearable what it is today, you know, and I feel like maybe that's what it is. Just so much, you know, executive, uh, what's the word? Like so much tinkering mm. that maybe just at the end of the day, this was the best thing that he can do with every, all the notes and all that um, that they gave him. I don't know. It's funny that they incorporated uh, the Chinese hack into the, the rocket launch right. uh, as well. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's really right. interesting. But yeah, yeah, I I would like to see an edited version of this movie where they take out all that military stuff. Yeah. And and see if we collect that better because I love that relationship with the daughter and I I wish we could have, you know, we found out extremely early like I I wish that was moved along a, a lot further, but I mean, it was very satisfying the way it ended with them. Like they they acknowledge each other and uh they're completely okay with it. Now, there was one scene that I kind of scratched my head on with with the daughter, but there's that one scene where Brian goes back to um, Tracy's house, you know, with the new Santa that he replaced. And, mm. uh, you know, the daughter comes into the kitchen. She's like, Mom, somebody, um, there's a new Santa out there. And she sees Brian and, like, is kind of taken aback. And then, like, she, she walks out. So at that point, I was like, did Tracy tell her? And then, like, later on, we clearly see that she still doesn't know. Right. So what did you get out of that scene? Cause I, I can get a read on that of what was going on with that reaction. No, the thing was that th- throughout the movie, from the moment that we meet the, the daughter, which is I think the second scene in the movie or something like that, she looks at Brian and she looks at him like, I like you look familiar. Like I know who you are, you know? So she looks at him with this familiarity or that she knows something that she's not supposed to. You know what I mean? Or that she wants to confirm something. So she looks at him like that throughout the entire movie uh, up until the end when, you know, when they have this the moment together. So to me, that was just part of that. Like every it looked like what they were going for was that every time that she saw him, she wanted to say something, but didn't because she's 12 and maybe just she didn't know how to or she wasn't sure. Um, So that's, you know, to me, that's what it was that that she wanted to like say something or she wanted to be like, Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad that he's around or, you know, I know, I know, and I'm glad that he's here. So is he going to be here? Like, I don't know. It just seemed, that's what it seemed like to me. Yeah. I, I, I totally get what you're saying, but it just, it, it felt like it should have been a different reaction. Cause it was, it was almost kind of like, Oh my God, he's, he's here. Because earlier on, I think the little brother who we haven't really touched on and I don't think we really need to, but the little brother, I, I think he tells her, um, grace that is that uh, that that he liked him that he liked brian and i think she agreed with him right maybe i think so i i, I think there's a scene where you know they both like oh i, I like right. him you know or or i think actually i think the, the little boy says i love him yeah and she's like yeah me too or it, which is kind of weird because like they just met this right. man but and then there's a scene where brian shares with grace where um grace comes in is like oh i want to wear this or whatever and they both um say simultaneously uh i like the ruffles on the shirt or, or something like that and, and so like oh another clue that they you know might might be father and daughter mm-hmm. and so yeah I, I i totally get it, it was all going to be foreshadowing but it was like it, it made the reveal a little less um well it made the reveal underwhelming mm-hmm. but i still i was still satisfied with that end scene with with, with her figuring it out right there during the hula um yeah and, and i felt like the hula dancers they should have stopped you know but they they continued on like like they were perform like uh like um 
what was it, uh, uh, Destiny's Child, you know, when what's her face fell down, Michelle Williams fell down, and they continued on without well, her. Show it, must it, go on. That's the way it works. You don't stop. <laughs> but, but they weren't performing is the thing. Like, they were just practicing. Like, like uh, Grace Gr- Grace breaks out into tears, and she runs out. Like, I felt that they should have stopped. You know what I mean? But, but oh, sure, okay. So, so, so you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, hey, it's still rehearsal. Yes. <laughs> don't don't break character. Yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, no, to me, it's like I understood why they were so ham-fisted about it, um, about, you know, showing us that maybe she knows, showing them, like, she had the blue eyes. And, and he mentioned early on, like, oh, she definitely looks like you. And, and Rachel McAdams' character says, oh, thank God. You know what I mean? Like, doing all of this was really clunky and ham-fisted. But I understood why they did it that way. Because then at the end, when they had, um, when they just looking at each other in the hula scene and he's out sitting, uh, he's outside of the studio and they're, they're having this conversation. Um, they're just looking at each other and really having this conversation. And she's saying, are you my dad? And he's like, yes. And then she comes out and hugs him. Then that makes more sense. Like if they wouldn't have done, if they wouldn't have laid the groundwork in such a, you know, sloppy way, that scene wouldn't have worked as well. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, again, he, they could have been, it could have been done a, a different way. To me, it was just, really, right. it was very, it was just sloppy. Yeah. I agree. I I think let's let's shed a little bit more light on some of uh, Cameron Crowe's work. You know, maybe we could end this on a more positive note of uh, movies that we do like. Um, and that, that's that's another reason why uh, you you know I, I think that's just another reason that you're on this particular episode with me because like one one day you and I we were just talking over the phone. And uh, I, I wish you, we we can record when we're on the phone too, because like you and I, we've had some very meaty conversations just about film and everything. Right. And uh, just coincidentally, we both love Almost Famous. Um, it's it was really hard for me to 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 work my number one and two, um, but maybe maybe uh, you have your list. Yeah, I have. I I quick. How many yeah. how many movies did you talk about? Usually, when you do it, it's like you either do five, ten, fifteen. You know, in in yeah. Of five. I ha- I have six, so I'm a little off there. Okay. Um, so maybe I'll go first. That way, I'll I'll start it and end it. I sure. guess. Um, uh, number my number six Cameron Crowe movie. I put Elizabeth Town. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, and then Aloha at number five. The, the that was really hard for me, but um. Because I don't know, I I feel I, I own Elizabeth Town. I don't know if I'll buy Aloha. I I probably won't. Uh, maybe during Black Friday, depending on the price. I'm not sure. But but I don't feel like this is going to be a movie I'm going to revisit anytime soon. Because right. um, I don't care. Because the thing is, I shouldn't have to watch this movie more than once to understand what was going right. on. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, um, and and I obviously didn't enjoy it enough to want to watch it again to understand what was going on. I, again, it was just the performances, so that was kind of hard for me to decide between the, the five and six. But Elizabeth Town, I really Orlando Bloom didn't do a very good job of disguising his accent, <laughs> and that took me out a lot. Yeah. I, re, I I actually kind of did uh, enjoy Elizabeth Town, though I had a lot of problems with it as I did this one. I just think with Aloha had the the better acting and performances from from the characters, so that's why I put Aloha before Elizabeth. I completely Town. agree. I mean, in, in Elizabeth Town, both Kristen Dunst and Orlando Bloom, these are like their worst performance performances. Mm. Um, he's just 
god awful. And I feel like he was miscast in this film. Again, I only I only I remember it very vaguely, but I but I remember feeling that way while I was watching it um, back when it came out. I think what two thousand three, maybe I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was your five? My number five, five is singles. Uh, okay. I went through a singles. I think came out in ninety two ish. Yeah, and I love Bridget uh, Fonda, and Matt Dillon is in it. Um, Eric Stoltz. Kira Sedgwick and it's it's really about the grunge era and finding love in the ground grunge era and when it came out I was 12 and I just I really thought it was just like a cool movie not only that but it has an amazing soundtrack and the soundtrack came out like three months before the movie came out so it's like chock full of the music that I was listening to then, which is like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and um, oh, what's the other one? Uh, um, the Pearl Jam, you know, so it was it's it's it was like just a really cool movie. And I remember watching it and, and just loving it. Um, not one of his best, but definitely for me is like number five. Yeah, I I didn't see that one. And um I know it's one of his earlier works, but if if you if you like it, you know maybe I'll give it a shot one day. Uh, but that's another thing, like uh, like all these movies, he he does so good of um, adding music to yeah. it, and his music choices. Um, so he does a really good job. Um, number four, I have Vanilla Sky, but I've only seen it like maybe twice, maybe once, <laughs> maybe w- once in full, and then like twice like on TV or something, you know, in in passing. But uh, I don't remember a whole lot from it. But um, I I don't remember like hating it. Right. <laughs> um, and I and I feel like it, maybe this shouldn't be on the list. But but I remembered enough where I go, oh yeah, this is definitely better than those two movies. Right. Um, so I just kind of like casually added that as my number four. Um, Vanilla Sky for me was another one that I in '97 the the movie that Vanilla Sky is is. Um, I guess it's it's a it's a remake of a movie called Open Your Eyes. Abre los mm-hmm. is a Spaniard Spaniard Alejandro Amenabar Amenabar. I think is how you pronounce it. Um, it was a fantastic movie, and I remember being seventeen when it came out, and I saw it, and it blew my mind. It was so good. It stars um, Penelope Cruz and oh, who's the guy and somebody else and the the main guy. I can't remember his name now, but. In Vanilla Sky? No, no, in Los oh, Ojos. Um, Eduardo Noriega. In Eduardo... Oh, so she, does she reprise, yes. uh, reprise so her she role? Yes, so she reprised oh, her role. Okay. But Eduardo Noriega and Van- Penelope Cruz, was, they were in Abre Los Ojos, Open Your Eyes. And Vanilla Sky was based on this movie that I loved so wholeheartedly. And I just, and I wanted to be, like, I wanted to see that movie so many times. You know, those movies that you just love and you just want to see it. So Vanilla Sky came out. And first I was just like, I'm really against remakes in general. And I felt like this was the movie that made me feel that way. Like that's, that was like the, the starting point of that feeling for me. So when Vanessa Guy was announced that they were doing that, I was really upset about it. And then I saw it, I was like, wow, that was really crappy compared to the original. I just really disliked it. And I just couldn't, I couldn't stand behind it no matter who made it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I feel about it. I mean, we're not going to go into details, but I just yeah, like yeah. Abre Los Ojos is such a it's so it's so good. And it's a lot better, a, a way better film than this one, than another sky. So, you know, check it out. If you don't mind foreign films, you should definitely watch it. 
was was that uh, what was your number four or did you already? No, say I was it? just commenting on yours. Okay. My number four is Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's one of those films. Again, great soundtrack, but it had it has a great great cast, a really great young cast with um, uh, Sean Penn, um, <coughs> Judge Reinhold, Phoebe Cates, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. It's such a good movie and it's really one of those movies that is like the quintessential high school movie with, with a bunch of like young, you know, it's about being young and in high school and being horny and crazy and you know, into drugs and all that. And it's, it's such a great, like quintessential movie. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I actually would have had that at my number four too. And I guess I wasn't, um, um, uh, well, I, I did tell you Cameron Crowe's work and, uh, this one isn't directed by him, but it's written by, it's written him. by him. Yes. Is uh, it right, by, um, it, Amy, uh, Heckerling who also, right. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I, I should have included, um, like all works, not just directorial stuff. So, and that, that was my issue. Like, yeah, if, if I, if I could retract my vanilla sky, that's where I would insert fast times at Richmond high, but both at number four. Yeah. Well, to me, Cameron Crowe is really, a, is really a writer. You know, he's a great writer mm. and he started off, you know, as a journalist, as a writer. So I included all that. And that's in, in I believe, Fast Times and all his written work is included in his work. Usually mm -hmm. things that you write are included in, in your work, too. Yeah. Number three, I have Say Anything. Say Anything. Oh, that's a great, great film. That's my number two. Okay. It's number three for me because it's not one that I grew up watching, but uh, I watched it late in my life, pro probably in high school. And I'm a big John Cusack fan, too, uh, and I really like that movie. Well, my my favorite scene is when he photobombs her at, at the graduation. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like, hey, take a picture for me real quick. And then he just runs behind right. her, you know, to, to get in that picture. So that's probably my favorite scene. And uh, just have it at number yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, say Anything is my number two. Say Anything gave us Lloyd Dobler, which is John okay. Cusack character. And he was like the eternal optimist or that relentless optimist, you know. But he's, he was also a slacker and he was really into a lot of things, like deeply into it. And he gave us like this like everlasting uh, scene that in pop culture history and movie history will stay with us forever, which is him standing outside of Ioni Sky's um, window at dawn with the boombox up against, you know, up above his head with Peter Gabriel in your eyes. Mm. Like that'll that'll be the quintessential like romantic, you know, quote unquote romantic gesture uh, ever in a movie. Uh, and right. that's you know, say anything gave us that, which is fantastic. Absolutely. Yes. Um, Okay, number. I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Okay, number one and two. I, I think might be the same for us, except for wait. You said you said say anything was number say, two. So your number. So number three is Jerry Maguire. My number three is Jerry Maguire. Yes, Jerry Maguire. Okay. Um, when I first saw it, I didn't love it, but it was one of those movies that for me, the more I saw it, the more I liked it. Not only did it had it had a a great soundtrack. Uh, Bruce Springsteen was on it, um, and I remember the Bruce Springsteen song being on the radio a lot with uh, intercut with a lot of um, uh, quotes from the movie. But if there's anything to be said about Jerry Maguire is that it's probably the most quoted movie of like the 90s. It gave us, you know, you had me a hello, show me the money, um, uh, help me help you, right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, you complete me. Like it had all these great things that people are still quoting today. And 
two of which were used in the uh, Shark Tales, Shark right? With Will Smith, <laughs> yeah, Renee Zellweger. Um, he says, "You have me at hello." Yeah, they're they're used all over. The, you know, they're used everywhere, everywhere. And I think that Jerry Maguire is is on the surface is you know it is what it is. But I think below the below the surface, it's really. Um, personal to Cameron Crowe because I think I think I read somewhere that it's it has a lot to to do with like his relationship with his now ex-wife um, so I, I I really like Jerry Maguire now and and it's it's a really good movie really cool okay. but really great and it holds up 20 years later however long yeah. oh absolutely yeah because you know I reviewed that on the other show and again I'm gonna add uh, the link to that to this um, episode's show notes, but I I have that at number one since we're already talking about it now. It, it's my number one, and for all the reasons that you said, because it's still quotable, it still holds up, and I'm gonna give it the edge over Almost Famous only because of Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> like that. You know, if if he was not in that movie, I don't think Jerry Maguire would have been what it was. And and so I have to give the edge that um, you know Cuba Gooding Jr. won uh, the, uh, an Oscar for that role, and uh, you know the movie itself uh, was also nominated for Best Picture. Almost Famous was uh, won Best Picture Golden Globe, I believe. Yes, it did. Yeah. So um, I, I don't think I need to say much more about Jeremy Maguire because you you've already pointed out, and those are just my reasons for number one. But Almost Famous is number two, number one for you. Right. You um, go first, since it's your number two. Okay, um, almost famous. I I really like. Is it Patrick Fugit or something? Patrick, like that? I, I think you pronounce it Fugit or maybe Fugit, which I think I'm saying okay. it that way all, all these years. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, I think that's his first role, right? I, that's the role I remember seeing him in first. Yeah. I I believe so. Um, I I didn't really do too much research but i really liked him in that role and you know this is obviously kind of loose, loosely based on cameron crowe's you know times when he was 16 years old and followed uh, i forgot the name of the band but he spent a few weeks he was 15 and he was um he was working on rolling stone and they tasked him to follow led zeppelin around and to to write a piece of a further magazine about led zeppelin. right yeah. oh i thought i thought it was another band that he followed he probably followed you know more i'm sure more than one he did uh, he he followed a lot of bands. He worked for Rolling Stone when he was really young for a long time. Yeah. And the movie Almost Famous, <clears throat> excuse me, is is a compilation uh, like of all all these stories that he had with different bands, the Allman Brothers. Um, uh, that that's what it's the Allman Brothers. That's what I read. Yeah, well, the Allman Brothers is, was was uh, there's a specific moment in the film where where somebody calls him a narc. I think they're high and they're just like, oh, man, he's a narc. He's a narc. And that's something that happened to him when he was with the Omen brothers. Mm. Yeah, I I really like Kate Hudson in that role, too. But uh, it, it has a lot of good characters like um, Jason Lee, you know, uh, in the band. But that's the, I think that's the the first movie where I recognized Billy Crudup. Right. And, you know, I'm sure he's been around a lot. Um, a lot before, but that, that's the first time I was like, who, who is this actor? Let me let me look into him. I go, okay, this is who he is. And then later on, I see him in Big Fish, and I'm like, this this guy's really good. And then Watchmen, you know, and, and um, so unfortunately, I didn't know him from anything else. Uh, if he has been in anything else, he's he's not like um, an actor I you know whose movie I, I start looking for. But I really liked him in that in that role too. And uh, I don't have anything like fancy to say about the movie it's just like it's just a feeling and the vibe i get when i watch it i mean i i own it on blu-ray i and dvd i own them both you know when i saw it on blu-ray i go 
yeah, I need to up, upgrade, even though I still have the other copy. That that's fine. I'll just have two, whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I, um, I just love the use of the music in that movie, and I actually used to own like a lot of the Stillwater uh, music from from that movie. Yeah. And so I don't know. It, it's just like a um, it's just a crazy ride that Patrick goes through, and you know the stuff with uh, his mom. His mom was super funny. I remember that scene where she's like on the they're chasing after him on the bus right. or something, and then like she runs into something. Right. So it's it, it's got its moments, and it's in uh, I don't find like anything corny, and it's just like uh you know like what we said about um, raising Victor Vargas. It's it's like an honest movie. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, uh, whether or not you you can relate, you know. But but I I feel like people will just enjoy the movie for uh, at, at face value. I agree. I mean, I love Almost Famous. I know we've had this conversation um, personal over the phone, but Almost Famous is my is my favorite movie of all time. It's one of those movies that, that really captures the loss of innocence and it captures nostalgia really well. Um, the, the beauty of music and what music brings and what bu- music means to to someone or to people in general um it's one of those movies that when i saw it i went to the movies I, I i saw it at the movies and sitting there after it was done i was like this is the kind of movie that i want to make i want to make a movie that feels like you know there's a community there and that brings that that makes someone feel the way i was currently feeling which was i want you know, I want to I want to watch this movie a million and one times, you know, and I saw it, saw it a lot that year that it came out. I saw it a lot. And every year since I've seen it um, a few times, um, it gave us a, a fantastic performance by Billy Crudup. Kate Hudson, obviously, uh, is an Academy Award nominee for it. Um, she was Miss Penny Lane. She was tragic and lovely and like a dream, like a, a daydream. You know that that maybe a young a young fifteen year old boy would have. She was she was so perfect in this film, and the film really captured um, her spirit and what and what it was like probably to to have that type of girl around around you. But it was very tragic, you know, and her story was really tragic in in the film. Uh, mm-hmm. It was it ha- it's one of those films that had incredibly witty, whip smart dialogue that just. Mm-hmm. That's just like you, you sit and you watch it and every time you watch it, you hear something different or you hear it differently. And you're just like, damn, that's a really good line. Um, and it has fantastic performances. I mean, Frances McDormand, that moment where she's like, I think she's a teacher or a professor or something. And she's like teaching in class. And all of a sudden she realized that her son is out in the world and she just stops in the middle of class. And she's like, you know, uh, rock, like a rock band has kidnapped my son. You know, that's such a yeah, and, right. and she's so fantastic in it. Zoe Deschanel is in it. Um, mm-hmm. I I always I can't hear the the number eleven without without saying eleven. I'm eleven, <laughs> and every I just can't. Like I every time I even I have to say the 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 number eleven. That's what I say. My husband just laughs. Um, when Zoe Deschanel tells him, you know, someday you will be cool, and she and she leaves him with his mom, and but leaves him with uh, with a stack of you know, uh, uh, of records for him to listen to. And that kind of opens him up and just opens him up to this world of rock and roll, of classic rock. It's fantastic. And let's not even go to like the soundtrack. It's like one of the best movie soundtracks ever. Mm-hmm. I think they spent like $3 million of their budget just on the soundtracks on like, 
uh, releases or whatever it is, uh, royalties or whatever you have to pay for music just for the soundtrack to be perfect. And the soundtrack is beautiful. It's amazing. Um, I, I just love this movie. I love it. It's Cameron Crowe at his, at his best. And mm-hmm. every movie since that I've seen of his, I want, I want him to be that again. Um, and, I, and I know that's a little unfair, but that's what I want because Almost Famous, I watch it again and it brings me back to, I don't know, it brings me such joy. And, um, you know, that's it. I want him to hold me closer like a tiny dent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, we definitely got to cut this short. Um, but so, so at least we were able to finish up with the list. Um, Carly, you already gave your, your plugs earlier. Uh, I won't even give mine. I'm just I don't get emails anyway, so I'm not even going to ask. But uh, if, if you understand this movie, email in uh, hlfpodcast at gmail.com. But Carly, thank you for coming on to the show. Anytime. Thank you. And um, so until the next episode, uh, I'm Peter, and this is Hydrate Level 4. Cheating at night, broken so bad.